Hello, this is Daryl here, sending love as always. Thank you for tuning in. I just want to say, if you like this interview, you can check our website for companion workbooks, action guides, tools, checklists, templates, and show notes with links for everything mentioned on the call. Just visit bestbusinesscoach.ca. That's best, B-E-S-T, businesscoach.ca. Enjoy. Welcome to the Best Business Podcast, the podcast for established marketers, entrepreneurs, and CEOs, the ones who want to join me in my mission to create 200 new multimillionaires who solve world problems with entrepreneurship. If that's you, then this podcast was created to give you access to the tools, training, strategies, and tactics you need to achieve multiple seven-figure profits as soon as possible. This world needs the best business you can build, so please get ready, open your mind, believe you can do this, and let's build a better world together for future generations. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Daryl Urbanski, as always, and today we're joined by a very special guest, um, someone that I've been extremely impressed with since I first met him at the Titans of Direct Response event in uh, where is that? In Connecticut. Um, first of all, before we get into kind of his accompli- business accomplishments, he's actually a wonderful human being. Just from knowing him and being interacted in the same communities, you can tell that he really does care about people, that he really listens, that he really does provide um, the best service that he can, and he's just really out to make a change and a difference in the world. So um, he's a loving husband and, f- and father of two beautiful boys. And um, yeah, it's just a, it's a real honor to have him on the call today. And I'm, I'm myself, I'm excited to have the chance to speak more with him. We've talked a little bit, but never as in depth as we're going to get today. So Ryan Levesque, um, some of, the, uh, of you may know him as the funnel specialist. Um, he's most well known for his uh, survey funnel formula. And just in the last 23 months, he's generated over 2.8 million leads, 100 75,000 customers across 19 different markets um, with price points ranging from $49 to $2,000. So, and if you're not impressed by that, before this, he spent nearly five years running a $20 million a year China expansion expansion project for financial company AIG with a team of 24 people. And before that, he worked on Wall Street at the prestigious investment banking firm Goldman Sachs. Um, but today, he is here to share with us some of what he does with his eight and nine figure private clients, as well as lessons he's learned along the way. So, Ryan, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing? Daryl, my man, I'm so pumped to be here. Thank you so much for the opportunity to, to be on here with you. Yeah, well, no, it's exciting. I mean, you've got a lot of value to give. Obviously, the proof is in the pudding. Um, even I didn't even mention uh, teaching at Brown University and, and just your you're just you're just a very competitive person. I want to touch on that at some point in time in the call because I think it's I think it's really important. I mean, if you weren't competitive, you wouldn't have reached as far as you have to achieve the things that you have. Um, but before we even get anywhere started that, how did you even get started before you were the funnel specialist, before you were able to, to generate revenue and customers, what seems with relative ease, what, like, what were you doing? That's a really good question. So it's, it's <laughs> funny, uh, like probably so many of us who stumble in this world of online marketing and building our own business, the way I arrived here is definitely not something that I ever would have expected. So like you had mentioned, uh, I studied neuroscience at Brown University, and I thought at one point that I was going to go on to medical school, become a neurologist, maybe a neurosurgeon. And what's interesting is that my roommate and best friend from college actually went that path. He's a neurologist today at the Mayo Clinic in uh, Minnesota uh, and was one of the most world-renowned neurologists practicing in his specialty today. So he was smart. And I was, the, I was not so smart, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. Uh, and I thought, well, let's, you know, I, I, was, I, was, I was always interested in business. I was always interested in, in investing. Story for another day, I, I, when I was a kid, I, I took a $5,000 inheritance. I mentioned to you my grandparents passed away when I, when I was young. I took a $5,000 inheritance and, and grew it into $85,000 as a kid before I went to college. And that's how I was actually able to pay for for college. Um, fortunately, this was in the, in the roaring 90s when uh, the stock market was just booming. But I went back to that experience when I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I thought, well, what, wouldn't it be cool to actually work on Wall Street? So worked on Wall Street, uh, worked for the investment bank, Goldman Sachs. Uh, but at the same time, had this kind of random other interest that you and I were talking about before the call, which was language. And for me, I know your language was Japanese. For me, my language was Chinese. I was really fascinated with Chinese. Mm. And at the time, the reason why I was studying Chinese and neuroscience 
life at the same time was I was fascinated by traditional Chinese medicine and its effect on the brain. And I really wanted to figure out if it was real or not. So that led me to Chinese and all these kind of random passions and interests combined together when I eventually worked for the insurance company AIG in China. And I was running this massive expansion project, basically, you know, had my dream job. Uh, you know what it's like. Uh, yeah. Japan, cost of living is a little different than China, but I was given an American salary. I had all sorts of benefits. I had house servants. Uh, you know, I mean, I was living this fat cat expat lifestyle. And I was in my mid-20s at this, at this time. And basically, it achieved everything that I thought I wanted to achieve and had this quarter-life crisis. Right. Basically, <laughs> it was like, like this that. is it. <laughs> And, you know, I was making the kind of money I wanted to make and I was living the kind of lifestyle, but I felt empty. It felt like there just, there was, and I, I, I wrote this letter to my mom, really embarrassing story. I wrote this letter to my mom and I told her, uh, it was the longest letter I've ever written in my life. It's about 24 pages and it was actually typed it out and wrote it to her and sent it to her. It, I basically said, listen, mom, I feel like I have this fire in me and it's this, this fire that's almost extinguished. And I said, if I don't do something about it now, this, fl- this fire is going to be burnt out for good, and it's never going to come back. Mm. And it, you know, I get emotional about even talking about it today, mm. um, but when I was going through this, I, I knew I wanted to go off on my own and do something. I didn't know what it was. I explored the idea of uh, starting an import-export company out of China. I thought about at one point opening up a McDonald's franchise and getting investors to do that. Um, did all these things, but none of them seemed right. And then on one trip, decided to take a trip with my wife, uh, and we went to uh, Kota Kinabalu, Malaysia, which is in Borneo. And Borneo is where the orangutans are and the rainforest and elephants and everything like that. And I said, you know what? I'm just going to get away from it all and just kind of reflect. And literally, about 10 minutes before we leave our apartment for the airport, I said, you know, I, I want to download something on my um, – at the time it was my iPod, uh, my iPod to listen to while we're sitting on the beach. And I want to get an, auto, auto, an audio book. And I really didn't know what book to get. And I just like on a whim saw a book that had a really cool title. It's a book that we're all familiar with now, but at the time it was very obscure. No one had ever heard about it. And the book was Four Hour Workweek. And I got it literally maybe months after it had come out, before all the buzz. And I listened to it on the beach of Kota Kanabalu at the Shangri-La. And it changed my world. I mean, it was this paradigm shift. Mm-hmm. And months afterwards, I just couldn't forget it. So I started reaching out to friends who were making money doing exactly what uh, Tim Ferriss talked about online in the States. And one thing led to another. I started buying courses and how to make money programs. They were shipped to China. Uh, many of them were just beat to shit by the time they arrived at my apartment. And uh, finally, and all of them were garbage. They were all like scams, and I was and I was so frustrated. I was like this. I almost had given up. And then I stumbled on someone who became one of the most important mentors in my life, Glenn a man by the name of Dr. Glenn Livingston. Yeah. And I followed Dr. Glenn's stuff, and we could talk more about the story if it's interesting. But long story short. I used his methodology to uh, launch our first real business, and we took that business from uh, nothing to $25,000 a month within 18 months and uh, replicated the process, that same process, in three different markets. And uh, from there, uh, that was the early foundation to what's become my survey funnel formula, what some people know as my ask formula which is the formula that you were talking about responsible for all that success in all the markets that we've entered since then. Mm. Um, But that's kind of the path, the early days of what led us from doing something completely different to how we arrived today on this podcast, you and I having this great conversation. And I'm glad you brought up Glenn because Glenn is such a great guy. I've, I've gone through some of his stuff. I don't know him as well as I'd like to. We've had a couple of conversations. He studied uh, with Ken McCarthy, who's one of my mentors. And so in that way, we kind of share a similar background, but so many people that I talk to, they never want to reveal who their mentors were. And I don't know why, if they feel like it makes them less special or something. So I'm actually just glad that you're willing to, you know, I mean, and, and because like my mentors, like they've just done 
done you so right. How do you not, you know, sing to the uh, hilltops? And you've really built on that. I mean, he's so proud of you. I know because I've, you don't know, but I've talked to him about you. Um, but he's already <laughs> so proud of you just because it's like what anybody would want. Any, and whether it's a, you're a mentor or whether you're a father, the, what you want is to put out your best into the world and have someone take that and improve on it and make it better and just take it as far as it can go. And you're really doing that. So that's that's awesome. Um, but I know, of course, it wasn't necessarily always easy or wasn't always this way. So what were some of the kind of the biggest challenges that you faced? I mean, even just trying to get up and started when you were, yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, it's interesting is the early days were, were fits and starts. And I'll, t- I'll tell a story that I think will are, explain this exactly. So this is in 2007, 2008. Uh, my wife and I launched our first online business. And it was in a completely random, obscure niche in the jewelry-making market. My wife, at the time, had stumbled on what was then a very new site, brand new to the world, called Mm Etsy.com. And Etsy, at the time, one of the biggest crazes was selling Scrabble tile jewelry. So selling jewelry that was made of Scrabble tiles. And you had crafters around the world that were creating this jewelry and selling it. And it was like hotcakes. It was like the Beanie Baby craze. And my wife and I uh, said, well, you know, we're in China, we have all this inexpensive labor, we could make this into a massive business. Let's do that. Started going down that path and realized that's not what we want to do. It wasn't the lifestyle that we wanted to live. I don't want to be living in a factory in, in Guangzhou, China doing this. But we said, you know what, we think there's something here with this market. Why don't we teach people how to make this jewelry? Mm-hmm. So we came out with a, a series of tutorials. And originally, at first we struggled, but eventually we, we, we started uh, uh, seeing some success. And we um, uh, were selling, uh, at this time, four different jewelry tutorials to make this different type of jewelry. We'd taken this business to the six-figure level, and basically, I go to work one day, and I step inside my office, and on my desk is a newspaper, Wall Street Journal Asia edition, and you know what the headline was? What? AIG to file for bankruptcy. Whoa. This is my company. Whoa. And basically, it was like, Oh, crap. Yeah. I call my wife up, and this is in the midst of the world financial crisis that hit Bear Stearns, that hit uh, Lehman Brothers, that hit all those firms that so many people yep. um, uh, will remember. Well, AIG at the time was at risk of uh, folding into bankruptcy, and so I called my wife up, and I said, honey, I think it's now. Like, I think it's now or never. <laughs> now is the time. Yeah. So I, I draft up my resignation letter to my boss, who's the CEO of our China company, hand it on his desk, and I say, I'm sorry, but I have to go. And I sold everything that I owned, donated most of it to charity, had two suitcases, left Shanghai, which is where I lived, moved in with my wife in Hong Kong. And I, one thing I didn't mention about the story is my wife and I were living in two different countries. She was pursuing a PhD at uh, Hong Kong University, and I was in Shanghai, which is where I, where I was based, but I was flying to and from Hong Kong for business like every couple of weeks. So we'd see each other. But she was in a tiny 400-square-foot apartment in Hong Kong. Right, I move in with her. <laughs> And I have nothing, just this, you know, a $450 laptop that I bought from uh, Gateway from, the, from Best Buy uh, in the United States. And literally, I, I, I kid you not, literally, like a month after I quit my job, the Scrabble tile craze crashes. So not only is it a world financial crisis that the whole financial system right. crashes, right. our tiny little market that we're in as well crashes. And we have this moment where we look at each other and we're like <laughs> – now what? Yeah. I just left a six-figure job. We, she's making no money as a PhD candidate. She gets like a $500 a month stipend. We're living on nothing. And so we make a decision. We say, you know what? She says, I can wrap up my program early. I can finish up my program. I'll, let's move back to the States and I'll get a job. I'll get a job so you can do the business full time and we can cover our living expenses. So she gets a job as wow. a museum curator in Brownsville, Texas, the, the poorest city in the United States. We literally live in the poorest zip code in the United States, but it's a historically important border city on the Mexican border. So she moves there and she gets a job as the curator of the Brownsville Historical Association. And I think her salary was $36,000 a year. And that's what we lived on. We moved into a crappy apartment. We had no furniture. I, I, I tell the story how we opened up a corporate bank account and the gift that you got when you opened the bank account was uh, a free uh, uh, one of those foldable lawn chairs, okay. like when you go to like a soccer game and you like, you know, right. we got, so we got that. And my wife as like the, the, the consummate negotiator somehow like negotiated two out of them. <laughs> so, we, so we each had one. 
And so that was our living room furniture. That's it. We had that. We had a, a TV that we bought for like five bucks from the Goodwill. No cable. We just had the old rabbit ears, and we had to jam it in the window. And, and basically, I w- and we had one car. I drive her to and from work, and every single day, day in and day out, I worked on building my business. And that's how we took that business that I mentioned that we went from nothing to $25,000 a month, which was in a gardening market, uh, in, to, to that level in 18 months. Once we reached that level, my wife quit her job, we moved to Austin, and the rest is history. That was when we finally kind of figured it out, and from there, grew our business into the multi-million dollar company that it is today. That is so awesome. Yeah, that's that's such a good story, and you you explained it so well. I was having visceral reactions in certain instances, because I've been there. I've totally been there. I know exactly yep. what you're talking about. <laughs> I mean, we had a $200 mattress on the floor. We insisted on buying. We, we went to the mattress store, Daryl, and I remember I remember the store. I remember the, the store clerk. And we basically walked in and we said, what's the cheapest mattress that you have? Like the cheapest – and we, we wanted new. Like that was the one thing. We didn't want to like take a risk on, you know, like a – we wanted a new mattress. And he's like, you know, you have to go way in the back, like the secret room. It's like, well, this was discontinued about four and a half years ago, but I'll give it to you for 200 bucks. And we're like, sold. The thing was like – I mean it was harder than – if you remember mat, like mattresses from college, it was harder than that. It was terrible. We put that thing on the floor, had our two lawn chairs. And uh, that was our life for, you know, for over a year. So um, I tell that story because people see our company today. They see, you know, they hear this podcast and they think, well, you must have been handed a, you know, uh, you know spoon, everything man, on a silver, yeah, silver spoon in your mouth. Right. No, I was a working class kid. I worked my way through college. And um, this is what it takes. This is really what it takes. And every entrepreneur that I've spoken to uh, uses what uh, another mentor of mine, I believe someone that you uh, have studied and followed as well, what our good friend Perry Marshall likes to say, your uh, bologna sandwich and ramen noodle days. That's right. Yeah, my buddy, we used to call it Roof and Ramen. That's what we, we I did an interview with him, Dan, Dan Fagella, I did an interview with him, but we were like, roof. it was our Roof and Ramen days. As long as we have a roof and as long as we have ramen so we don't die, we're good. Like, that's it. Like, just like, that's it. It's balls to the wall. Get this thing yep, up and ready. Yep. Yeah, uh, man, that's it. And I'm, and I, you know, I just have to give a shout out to my wife. I'm just so fortunate that I'm, you know, married to someone who believed in what we were doing enough to say, let's take a flyer on it, and if it doesn't work out, we'll figure it out. Yeah. Um. So, um, you know, it's it, the early days. Now it's nice to look back and and kind of remember them fondly. But at the time, I'll tell you what that forced poverty, right? Yep. Where we were, for, we forced ourselves to live on very little. I could have gone, gone out and gotten a job, but we said, you know what, let's cut our living expenses to as small as they are. And let's make our focus growing this business. That makes you hungry. Mm. That makes you that we talk about uh, competition at the beginning of the, of the call. You don't want to be in that situation for very long. So it lights a fire under your butt to make something happen. Yep. So, um, yeah. I think that's an important part to, to segue into is like, you know, I, I have a martial arts background. And one of the things that I learned that was really eye-opening for me and being fortunate enough to be able to train with world champions and Olympians was that a lot of these guys, they have the mentality that, you know, you don't show up at a world championship and then become ordained world champion. You are the world champion when you show up to that competition. So right. it's all in the preparation. It's all in the habits. It's all in, like when you show up, if you're going to go and try to win a gold medal for judo or whatever, when you show up, you've got the best day-to-day routine, the best coaches, the best training partners. Like you've just you've, – you've, your life is like optimized for performing this function. And when you've got uh, – when you're trying to grow a business and like you need to be – you need to be hungry. You need to be lean. You need to be frugal. You need to be counting pennies. You need to be on your game. You need to be on your grind. And that's where I have a, a something I like to say is don't be don't betray the habits that got you where you are because yep. that's something that you know that's why I say nothing fails like success right because you work so hard and then you get successful and then you you know you kind of get uh, bolder or, or you know you relax I guess um, but it's because- I think you bring up a, such a good point I think what you're doing here by doing this podcast this interview series is so helpful and I'll, I'll explain what I mean by that. So often we look to our models of success and whoever, you, you know, pick a business icon that's someone that you look up to. Who is someone that you, a name that comes to mind? Um, that I look up as far as business success? That would probably, yeah, someone honestly, that you look to is, 
Sorry? It'd probably be Jermaine Griggs. He's like my best friend, and the guy is just – he's just a ninja. He just he just added – literally, he, in the last week, he just added – I don't know if I'm allowed to say this or not, but whatever. He just added like 1,500 people in one week, 1,500 people to his 37-a-month continuity program that had three upsells on it, each averaging $80 with like wow. a 40% uptake rate the whole way. And he, like – and now it's going to be an evergreen thing. Like the guy's a ninja, anyways. Um, yeah, he's he's really he's really sharp. I've I've heard Jermaine speak. I don't know him personally like you do. He's a super sharp guy. Um, enjoyed his House Hunters episode on HGTV. <laughs> yeah. So shout out to him there. Uh, yeah, don't 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 think uh, you know we we spy on our on our peers like that. No, that was really cool. No, but you know, so so whether it's Jermaine Griggs or say someone like you know Mark Cuban or someone who's more in the public eye that yep. that everyone would be familiar with. You look at someone like Mark Cuban. The biggest mistake that I see people make is that you look at you, you, you look at the way Mark Cuban handles himself now mm-hmm. and you say that's what's going to make me successful. Right. You need to look at what Mark Cuban was doing 25 years ago when he was in the same situation than, than you're in right now. And that's the reason why I wanted to go through that that a little bit of that story and I know it took a little bit longer than, no, than maybe it, we it, it, we might have liked. But I think it's important to understand those things. Those details matter. The only time that my wife and I went out to eat was Star's drive through It's a little uh, <laughs> drive through burger chain. And the only, t- the only day that we went out to eat, Thursdays. Because mm. on Thursdays, they had dollar hamburgers. And so we would stock up. We'd get, I'd get two hamburgers. She'd get one. And if we were really feeling like splurging, she'd get fries <laughs> or we'd get fries. And I'd get another burger for the next day uh, at lunch while well, she was at work and I'd just warm it up uh, you know, on the stove. Those details, as seeming you know superfluous or unnecessary, that matters. If that you're really going matters. out and having fifty, you know, forty, fifty dollars sushi dinners while you're going through your lean days, your priorities aren't right, and you're going to struggle. And I've seen it. A lot of my friends, oh, yeah. especially friends who are successful, they reach this level of success and they say, "You know what? I'm going to leave my corporate job. I'm going to leave my law career. I'm going to leave my career in medicine and start from the ground up." And they never want to leave the lifestyle stuff behind. Right. You get, a, you get attuned and accustomed to a certain lifestyle. So I have this belief that if you're constantly growing your business, the secret is living on last year's salary. So in other words, if you made $100,000 last year and $250,000 this year, just live as if you made $100,000 this year and you'll be fine. And if you constantly grow your business and you're living based on the money that you made a year prior – you're going to be set. The biggest mistake people make, and I even see myself fall into this temptation, is you have a great year, you have a great series of years, yeah. and you, start, you want to start upgrading everything. Yep. Yeah. And then before you know it, it puts all this pressure on you. And then to your quote, which I think is brilliant, you betray – how did you phrase it? You betray the yeah. habits that yeah. got you to where no, you are? Yeah, never betray the habits that got you where you are. Yeah, so that frugality, that focus, that determination, you lose all that. And, you know, you got to remember, there's some guy behind you who's exactly where you were three, four, five years ago, who's just as hungry as you were then, who wants to be you. And, you know, it's the reason why longevity in our business, you know, longevity and success, I feel like it's so rare. So I try to remind myself of these things. And I'm no saint, and I make all the same mistakes that everybody else does. (laughs) I try to remind myself of these things because I feel like this mindset stuff is is really important and it's yep. it's it's uh you know i've learned a lot of this from our mentors and um you know i'm grateful for that yeah no it, it is it's true i mean the wrong mentality will you'll psych yourself out again going back to martial arts i see you see guys lose matches before the match even begins because the other guy defeats them psychologically he establishes yep. like he establishes that he's alpha or he's yeah and then the guy just the whole time he's playing defensive he's not even a, yeah, so no it's the mental aspect is a huge component of it because you'll self-sabotage but then beyond that there's a skill set there's a skill set mindset and environment and those three components can help anyone be successful and one of the things that you alluded to is that you were working on your skill set i mean you already kind of had the mindset because you'd accomplished some great things maybe you didn't and maybe you, that was something that kind of evolved with your mentorship um but at the same time you still were really focused on developing the skill set once you have the skill set like you said it's the same formula you've done over and over and over again because so many people think my business is different and xyz but in a lot of a lot of instances there might be little nuances but for the most part, the formula works, doesn't it? It's absolutely right. And you know, the, one of the biggest lessons that I've learned in the last few years is the importance of establishing your category of one. And what I mean by that is ask yourself the question, what can you, what real estate, whether that's virtual or physical, what space in the market can you own where you can legitimately say you are the best in the world at that thing? And I'll give you an example for me. 
it's debatable whether or not I'm the best sales funnel expert in the world. I am probably not. I'm probably not even in the top 10, maybe not even the top 100. People might say that I am, but that's debatable until you know the cows go home. But there's one thing that's not debatable. I am the number one expert in the world at building a survey funnel style funnel. Correct. That full stop, end of story, I own that space. Yep. I own that real estate in someone's mind. If you are thinking about, and, and I know this about you, if someone approaches you and say, hey, Daryl, who's the guy that you'd reach out to if I wanted to build like a survey style sales funnel? Right. Oh, yeah, hands down, it'd be you. I'm the, I'm the guy. Yep. And that's not, by default, that's not just by accident. That's not by happenstance. That's by design. So what you want to do from a practical standpoint is take inventory of all the stuff that you do, all the stuff that you work on, all the stuff that you sell, all the, all the service offerings, and what is it that you do better than anybody else? Now, when I ask people this question, the temptation is to go broader, more broad than is comfortable. What's interesting is that that doesn't have to be the only thing that you do, but it becomes part of your USP. Right. And as the private clients that I work with know, the survey funnel style funnel is only one knife in my Swiss, Swiss army knife, right. right? That's only one tool that I've got in my toolkit. I've got a whole bunch, but publicly peep, I own that space in someone's mind versus back in the day when I was a little bit less clear on my positioning and I was a, a marketing expert, a sales funnel consultant. I wasn't the clear and obvious choice in cases where it was a slam dunk. Mm. And so that was an important lesson for me to learn. And when I did that, when I niched down what I was doing and I made my entire focus of my business on this one thing, the business exploded. Right. And our training business exploded, our implementation business exploded, our consulting, our coaching, everything, because it was all built around this one big idea. And the movie that one of the movies that inspired me to start thinking like this, you might appreciate this with your background in Japan. Have you ever seen the documentary Euro Dreams of Sushi? No. Oh, you have to watch it. So it's a documentary about a sushi chef. His name is Euro, and he has a three-star Michelin restaurant, so the highest Michelin rating that you can get in the world. And this business, this restaurant, is in the basement of a subway. Right, 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 right. Yeah, that's. <laughs> and he takes pride as being the best yep. sushi chef in the world yep. to the point that his son, who's I believe in his sixties now, is still his apprentice. Right. He is still apprenticing under him, yep. and he takes every decision with such. Uh, uh, takes care of every decision from where each guest yep. is going to sit. Yeah. To, to ensure the optimal dining experience, to ensure every you know, slice of the knife is perfect based on that cut and that piece of fish. He has, his goal is you know, near perfection yeah. in this tiny little infinitesimally narrow scope yep. of life. And yep. he's achieved that pinnacle of success. Yep. And so that inch-wide, mile-deep focus, I think, is, um, is something that is definitely – I would attribute a lot of the – you know, to the extent that I've been successful, that's been a big part of it. And a lot of people that I've, uh, um, that I've modeled have also taken that same approach. Mm. No, I think that's a great – and it reminded me because you're right. And that's something that in some ways that mentality might be a little bit lost on the West, in the Western world because I remember I was working at Shinsei Bank in Tokyo um, as a consultant, was an outside uh, consulting. Uh -huh. And they were having this big conference. I was down at the headquarters, and I showed up, and there was all these people here. And I remember asking, like, "What? What's going on? Like, what's what's the big deal today?" And they said that there was like a conference, and there's people coming in from all the branches into the into Shinsei Bank. And I'm like, "Oh, that sounds really cool. Like, what's what's going on? Like, what's the thing?" And I forget the guy's name, but he was speaking, and he was he'd been a janitor for like 50 years or something like that, 55 years, somewhere there, just under 60. And in wow. my head, I was kind of arrogant because in my head, I'm like, "So what? Like, he cleans, you know, like yeah. so he cleans." like he mops floors cleans toilets like that was you know what i mean i'm like i put him yep. you know i put him on a tier i put him in yep. a hierarchy but for them yep. no 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 he is a great man that has mastered his craft and the the type of perspective you would have after 50 years of doing a job and to do it still like you know at an elite level like to share that with others like so it's that's that pride in what you do and just owning it and just owning your role or what you want to do for the world and not like not like
like for him, he's not caring about, he doesn't care about making six, seven, eight, nine figures a year, right? He just was a janitor and for whatever reason, very, very passionate about it and did it for years and years and years. And that, that mentality, even like you said, the specialization, I think that that's something that's lost in a lot of people because there's a shiny object syndrome where people want to either keep up with the Joneses or that shiny thing or the next shiny thing. Whereas there's a lot to be said for just putting your stake in the ground and just going for it and just being the best at whatever you decide you want to be the best at. Um, I think Absolutely. No, I could not agree with you more. I think mastery is a a skill that is is widely lost. Mastering what it is that we do, and I think the reason why, especially in the West, is that there is an appreciation for the new, the novel, doing something different, doing something yeah. you know uh, that you haven't done before, but. The few people that do the same thing and reach, like you said, that elite, that pinnacle of success, that is where the real opportunity is. Ask yourself, who makes a bigger salary? Is it the general practitioner that you go to see when you go to the doctor? Or is it the brain surgeon that operates in the Mayo Clinic in the Miami branch who only does one type of parietal lobe brain surgery? One of those doctors makes about $2 million a year. The other one makes about $100,000 a year. Mm. Who do you want to be? Mm. The one who's constantly seeing new and novel things or the one who does the same thing every single day but is the best in the world? Right. And that just, be, that just turns out to be what your priorities are. Yeah. I made a conscious decision that I wanted to be the best in the world at something, mm-hmm. and I took inventory of what it is that I was doing what was the combination of, based on my experience, my natural skill set, what that thing is. And for better or worse, this is what it is. And it's something that I enjoy. There's an, in, there's an intrinsic enjoyment that you get when you do something at an elite level and you focus on just the, the, act, the activity of it rather than the result. Focusing on the, you know, the, the activity of making that sushi. Every single step along the way, making, you know, doing every step as well as you can, that's going to lead to a superior product rather than being fixated on the product itself and not worrying about the process. So, uh, I mean, there's a lot, I mean, this is deep stuff and I know maybe we weren't planning on covering it, but I think it's, it's one of these things that for me, when I started shifting my mind towards this, uh, it definitely, you know, I always thought I wanted to be a generalist because I'm like you, I know you have a lot of different interests. And I was the same way, and I realized that was a path to, uh, you know, that's the classic jack-of-all-trades, master-of-none. Master of none. Right, 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 right. No, it's hands down. Um, there's, a, there's a book called The Discipline of Market Leaders, and they, in it they plead the case that after studying all the, the best-performing com- companies in every category, that every company that has, a, like, that has made it and survived, whether it's uh, recessions or depressions or whatever, but the ones that are leading the pack, so to speak, are specialized in either operations, they're specialized either in product, or they're specialized in understanding their customers better than anyone else. And so it's, it's one of those, and there's no, there's no one who gets the top that's kind of like good at all things, that just doesn't exist. Right, um, right. Not at all. There's something I wanted to say. Oh, right, when you're talking about mastery, there's a quote about mastery, I forget who said it, but they were like, do it until it becomes dull and then do it until it becomes beautiful and i think that that's mm. a really good way to look at mastery so what are some of the things that you did to be to master your craft like what are some of the things that you've had to master to build the business and, and to become the man that you've become today and been able to do what you do for clients well i think one thing if people even though my publicly i'm positioned as a um, the expert in building survey style funnels if people were people who work with me privately, if they were to if you were to ask them what's Ryan's superpower, the one thing that they'll say is I've never met anybody who can write word perfect copy out of his mouth on the fly, verbally perfect the first time. Now, whenever I say that, it always creates a ton of anxiety because it, it you know inevitably puts me on the spot to, to you know you know the comedian. All right, well, be funny, tell a joke. Right doesn't work like that. It happens in the context of a, of a call. But how does that, how do you derive that? Well, it's just like your martial arts example. You've got to get your reps in. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how many hundreds or maybe at this point thousands of hours I've spent on the phone with clients coming up with offers, coming up with hooks, wordsmithing copy right there on the fly. But I've reached a point now where I can, I go into this mode where it's like the surrounding shut off and I can just Almost, I can see the words being typed out in front of me on a Word document and just articulate it 
verbally, mm. and we record all of our calls, and that becomes our copy. How do you get that? That's a classic 10,000-hour thing. Right. In my early days, it was studying you know, another mentor that I never had the pleasure of meeting. He passed away before I entered in our, in our world, but I credit him to, you know, largely for my success as a copywriter, is uh, Gary Halbert. And I know you've studied Gary's stuff. Yeah. And I remember my early days in Shanghai when my wife was getting her PhD in Hong Kong. I'd come home to an empty apartment. And I don't know if th this is true in, in, uh, in, uh, in Japan, but in China, uh, McDonald's uh, does delivery on scooters. Oh. Did, they, did they have that in, in, in I, Japan? I don't know. I never, I never found out. But so I, I was like, I became like, I swear to God, like I was responsible for McDonald's, like you know, banner year in 2007, uh, because I was ordering McDonald's every single night. I'd, I, my walk from my office it was a 10 minute walk from my office to our apartment. I'd walk home. Um, I'd order McDonald's. The uh, delivery guy, for, you know, knew me by name. Um, he'd come in, drop off my delivery, and I'd be eating hamburgers and fries, and I'd be hand copying out Halbert's letters. Right, right, and I right. Have notebooks. Yes, I've done that. <laughs> yeah, notebooks full of this, and it's tedious and it's tiresome, and it's definitely one of those cases where it's like, all right, what's the point? You know, do it until it's dull, and then do it again until it's beautiful. Or you know, I butchered your your no, really, um, your great perfect. quote, perfect. but that's exactly what it was like. It was like writing it down until finally this way of communicating became internalized. Mm -hmm. And so talking about specific action that, uh, that, that got me to where I am today, mm -hmm. well, number one, it was definitely spending the 10,000 hours to become the best copywriter that I can. And that mm -hmm. copy, by the way, translates itself across all media. So verbally, in writing, yep. in video, across everything. It's just a form of communication. And for me, having an academic background, and I, I know you can appreciate this because you have a lot of the same interests that I do, I had to unlearn. Mm -hmm. I had to unlearn you know, using words like fecundity and assiduous <laughs> and just not speaking like that and speaking just in plain English. Me to you, just how we communicate. Because when you learn how to write in a stilted academic way, it's just not, it doesn't resonate with people. It's right. too highbrow. And it's not about being condescending or anything like that. It's just that it's not the effective way to communicate. So I had to unlearn that entire academic way of writing and then relearn this much more me to you, you know, sort of letter style of writing. Right. But once that was internalized, um, you know, that was, that was definitely, I mean, that's, that's an evergreen skill that if you start on this path today or 30 years from now, um, you'll never go hungry. Because as long as human beings use words to communicate with each other, doesn't matter if it's verbal, video, in writing, uh, as a skilled copywriter, and when I say skilled, I mean very skilled, operating at the elite level, mm -hmm. you will never be wanting for anything. Got it. Yeah, and that's powerful, powerful lesson. Yeah, I did that too. I wrote those out with the Halbert letters. And something that ties in, there's a one of my mentors I'm trying to get on to do a call, and he just posted one of his students. He's he produces world champions like there's no like it's it's honestly it's easy for like it's it's that it's frustrating, but I you get it because one of the videos that he just posted recently was a student who just did a thousand reps in a row of a certain technique. And it was, it was the video. It was like a five-second video just going, I just finished my first 1,000 reps. I've never done a 1,000 of anything before. Uh, yeah, I'm tired, but I feel great, and I can't wait to do 2,000. You know, by the end of the day, she'd done 3,000 reps. And a buddy of mine, DJ Jackson, he won, and this is Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, but he won the World Championships as a blue belt in Gi and No Gi, which is like with the uniform, without it. And then he right. went back the next year, and then he won the World Championships as a purple belt, the next level up, in Gi and No Gi. And then he went back the next year and won the World Championships again as a brown belt in Gi and No Gi. And he went back the next year and won as a black belt, uh, he won golden nogi and bronze and gi. And I, I remember sitting down talking to him, being like, "Like, what's your strategy?" And he was telling me how every like he, you know, he'll go compete, he'll analyze his game, he'll figure out his three biggest weaknesses, and he'll drill that ten thousand times before the end of the month. And it's like that—that's just how he did it, again and again and again. So we we're talking about this is the old, old school ten thousand hours type thing. I think there's yep. there's real like there's real there's hard. It's energy, time, energy, focus, and effort. So you got you got to get your reps in. Yeah, is what it comes down to. You know, if you're going to become a world class uh, basketball player 
and you want to shoot 90% from the free throw line, what's the secret? Is there, you know, is it some magic bullet that someone's going to say, oh, just flip your wrist like this and you'll be fine? No. Right. The answer is you've got to get your reps in. You've got to get your shots in in the gym. Right. And whatever that is in your business, you've got to get your reps in. If it's consulting, you know, how do you become the best consultant in the world and you're getting on the phone with people? You practice, mm -hmm. right? You get on the phone with more people. You try to think on the fly. The more you do that, the better you get at it. If it's writing copy, it's writing copy. Jerry Seinfeld, if, you ask, you know, if, you, if you've ever studied Jerry Seinfeld and what led to his success, he says, you know, what's, what's, what's been most responsible for my success? He says two words, just write. Just write. Every single day he made it a point to just write, to write jokes. The more jokes you write, you're going to have a lot of duds in there. Yep. But the more duds you have, the more winners are going to be in there as well. Right. Right, right, right. No, I love that. I love that. So copywriting really is kind of the one skill that you had to master in order to um, help grow and, and, and grow and be successful and scale your business. How does copywriting fit in with your surveys that you do? Well, what's interesting is that a survey alone is not very exciting. It's not sexy, right? <laughs> if you bring up the word survey, in a, I mean, I'm, I'm a married man, uh, but if you brought, I imagine – if you brought up a survey at a cocktail party, um, you probably would not attract uh, very, mem very many members of the opposite sex. I mean, it's as boring as it gets. And we have all this negative connotation about surveys as well. You think about, you know, uh, the phone calls you get at the dinner table when it's, you know, hi, this is, uh, you know, the auto shop when we're just calling to see, you know, we, if you'd be willing to take a five-minute customer appreciation survey <laughs> to see, like, how your car – and you're just like you've, – you've, you're, you've mentally hung up that phone before, like, words have even exited the woman's mouth, right? right. So that's a survey. So how do you get people to take a survey? Well, right. that's where persuasion comes in. And one of the principles that I talk about and that I teach is how to appeal to your prospect's self-discovery. So people, what's, what's, your, what's your prospect's favorite subject? It's not hunting. It's not fishing. It's not gardening. It's not baseball, basketball. It's not business development. What is it? It's them. Mm -hmm. Everybody's favorite subject is themselves. If I, can, if I can open up, unlock something that you didn't know about yourself and it can change your life, you're going to want to know what that is. Mm -hmm. So if you can frame the questions that you're asking and the way you do this online is through a survey. If you can frame the questions that you might ask your prospects as a way that it appeals to their self-interest and uh, to their sense of self-discovery, people will want to not only answer those questions, but they will do everything, anything in their power to find out the results. Right, right, right. Yeah, it's, uh, that's an old sales thing where you can't motivate – you can't motivate someone to do something they don't want, but if you show them how to get what they want, they'll move a mountain. Right, exactly, like so, got exactly. It. <clears throat> got it, got yeah, it, Yeah, so there's a lot of persuasion that's involved, and at the same time, the beauty of it is it's not manipulative because the way we use surveys benefits the customer. So it's a case where this is one of the rare situations that when you use surveys the way that I – implemented market after market, it not only benefits you as the merchant because you make more money, it benefits the consumer because it allows you to learn a little bit about the consumer in a way that you can point them to a solution that's a better fit for them than if you were to just try to jam a one-size-fits-all solution down their throat, which is mm -hmm. what most marketers do. Right. Yeah. What, are, what, is, what do you see kind of the big mistakes that a lot of uh, marketers and entrepreneurs are making um, in collecting customer data? Well, I think they're asking the wrong questions. You know, I think, and I talk about this in my upcoming book, Ask, that we all know that gathering customer feedback is important, right? That's self-evident. Right. But the questions that people ask when they do that are often flawed. For example, you cannot directly ask someone what they want, right? There's a famous quote it's attributed to Henry Ford, and he says, if I would have asked people what they wanted, they would have told me faster horses. Right. And the reason why that quote is rings so true for people is because it is true. People don't know what they want. And I say there are only two types of information that people can accurately tell you when, it, when they don't know what it is that they want, and that's number one, what they don't want, and number two, their past behavior. Hmm. So you have to ask the right type of questions at the right time to the right people in order to get data that's useful. Otherwise, if you ask people, for example, what it is that you want, you have all sorts of things that happen where people will make up answers to please you as the survey taker. Right. And there have been st 
studies about this where people respond differently in laboratory settings because they're trying to please the experimenter or they're saying what they think they should say. The same reason why, you know, if you ask, you know, uh, what's the the circulation of the National Enquirer? Enquirer? It's one of the largest circulations in the country. Who reads reads the magazine? Nobody Nobody reads it. Nobody nobody reads it. it. (laughs) (laughs) No, you're totally right. That's a perfect sense. I remember going back to Glenn. Glenn, I remember one of his... Uh, one of his talks, he was talking about focus groups that they used to do. They'd you know, keep people there for a couple hours, ask them what they like about product XYZ. And then at the end, they'd be like, all right, thank you for coming. You know, Here's your check, blah, blah, blah. Oh, also, uh, we got notification. You're actually you're allowed to take home any of these that you like um, on your way out. So thank you for participating. You know, Just grab your gift on your way out. And that was the real test, was to see which product people grab. Because they'd spend there, sit there for two hours, three hours, and you know, in the focus group setting, what they like and don't like about XYZ. But then when they went to leave and they were told they could grab any of like the four or five products, but Right. one of them that was the actual test so no exactly i love it i love it very well articulated excellent excellent so listen daryl i know our time is limited um what else should we cover before we have to part ways well um well i do want to talk a bit about what you've got going on because i you, i think you've got some great value and i know you've got i think there's four or five different types of surveys that you use um and you've got a book that's coming out too so can you maybe tell us a little bit about um, where people can learn more about surveys and about your book, and like if they if any of this has resonated with them, how do they like what what's next? How do I how do I get more of this good info? Absolutely. Well, I think the best way to dive deeper into this stuff, and we didn't spend too much time talking about the survey side of things, but everything that we talk about is sort of tangential to the thing that's most central and really most critical to my success is asking the right questions at the right time Mm. to the right people and then integrating the results of those questions in your marketing. And I ask people, I say, you want to know the secret to going into 19 markets with virtually 100% success? Well, the answer is you take all the guesswork out of the process. How do you take the guesswork out of the process? Well, you ask the right questions to give you the right answers before you take any action. And that's what the book that we have coming out in March of this year, Ask, is all about. The book is called Ask, and the subtitle is The Counterintuitive Online Formula to Discover Exactly What Your Customers Want to Buy, Create a Mass of Raving Fans, and Take Any Business to the Next Level. And the book is basically broken up into two parts. The first part is the story of how the methodology came about. And we talked about a few of the twists and turns from my own personal story, but there's some things in there that we didn't talk about, like the fact that in 2012, I actually almost died. I had a near-death experience. I was, I was in the hospital, in the ICU, and it took me reaching that point for this formula to be articulated in the way it is. The second half of the book is all about the detailed methodology. It's all about what you were starting to talk about, those four key surveys what surveys you use, at what points in your sales process. And this book, what's cool about it is I made a decision as uncomfortable as it was to just throw it all out there. Mm. What I decided to do was basically reveal my family secret recipe. And I decided not to hold anything back. This isn't one of these books that's a thinly disguised sales letter. My model for this book was Malcolm Gladwell's book, Blink. Um, it inspired the title, it inspired the design of the book, and it inspired the contents. So if you're a fan of that style of book that gives you insightful uh, uh, data and information and stories that can lead to uh, actionable uh, uh, changes that you can make in your business, I think you'll really like it. And what I thought it would be cool, Daryl, if it's okay with you, is why don't we just do a giveaway? And uh, uh, I can set aside a, a couple, a handful of physical copies of the book and uh, we can give them away to anybody who might be interested. Yeah. Um, and I, Go ahead. cool. And I, I was saying, <laughs> and I, and I think, I think, um, what uh, as far as a, um, a how to do that? Um, why don't we do this? I'll, I'll, we, we have. I know we set up a special link at uh, askformula.com forward slash BBP. So for best business podcast, just to keep it as simple as possible. So BBP. And uh, you'll, when you go to that page, you'll see that the book retails for $24.95. This is a physical book. Um, if you enter the coupon code BBP for Best Business Podcast 2015, BBP 2015, it'll take the book to uh, 100% free. And uh, I'll set aside, let's say, 50 copies. So first come, first serve, 50 physical copies. I'll 
buy you a copy of the book and, and I'll ship it to you uh, for free. That's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. That's really, really cool. I actually encourage everyone that listens to this that they should do that. Um, even if even if somewhere down the road Ryan tries to sell you something because I know where he's come from. I know the mentors he's had. I know how they've helped me. And I fully endorse, honestly, sincerely believe in the survey. I mean, everybody knows you need customer feedback to do it. And there's just not a lot of training on how to do it. And so I would really recommend to do it. I've already been thinking I'm going to go to that link and get the book myself. Um, because I am. I'm, I want to know I, I want to know your survey method, Ryan. I want to know your secrets. So, um, yeah, but that's, I mean, this podcast was created to help, uh, Was this podcast is to help create 200 new multimillionaire business owners, and you're not going to do that if you have no connection to your clients, customers, um, and I really, really like the track record of, not even you, I mean, that was Glenn's first thing when he started uh, touting himself as like a marketing specialist, is that he went into 17 niches, all profitable, right off the hop. I mean, this sort of thing, it's not it's not fake it's real and it's a formula and it just works and i definitely think that there's a right way and a wrong way to do it just because you may know how to do a survey that's and you think like that's an expert tool you may not know how to use that tool expertly so please if this is something if it fits in with what you're doing i I definitely think this is a a great offer please go check out the book and get yourself a copy or i'm sure it'll be on, on amazon and all the other places as well um, that's awesome, Ryan. So it, the website was askformula.com and you can go there and find out all sorts of information. If you want to take advantage of the special offer, it's askformula.com slash BBP for best business podcast. And the coupon code was BBP2015. Um, Ryan, that is awesome. Is there any other place people can reach out for, reach out to you? Maybe they're not interested in the book, but they, you know, want to ask some questions or find out more about what you're doing. Yeah. If you go to thefunnelspecialist.com, thefunnelspecialist.com. You'll be able to sign up for my free daily marketing tip. Um, I talk about what I'm doing in all the different markets that I'm in and, and really spend a lot of time just sort of sharing what, uh, what we're doing, what's working, what's not working. And, and there are a number of articles on that site that you can take a look at as well. And that's thefunnelspecialist.com. Got it. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. And again, people listening, Ryan's the real deal. I mean, you can't fake 2.8 million leads and almost 200,000 new customers. So um, again, if anything of this has resonated with you, if any of our guests resonate with you, take action, connect yourself, surround yourself with the right people because you can't do it alone. You can't, there's never been a rich hermit. Um, You know, you just, you can't succeed on your own. You, I didn't even learn how to tie my shoes on my own. So um, please take advantage. That's why we're doing these interviews is to help connect you to good people. So um, Ryan, thank you so much for joining us today. I really value you sharing your story, being willing to be vulnerable and admit things that, you know, that, um, I mean, obviously there's nothing wrong with what you went through, but obviously some people, you know, they, they want to hide, they want to hide their mentors, who their mentors were, and they want to hide the failures and the challenges that they had along the way. And you were really forthcoming with that. And I certainly hope it's benefited everyone listening today. Daryl, thank you so much, man, for the opportunity to share it. And I truly believe we all stand on the shoulders of giants and we all have near failure experiences as entrepreneurs. So uh, those are our biggest learning experiences. I'm happy to share them. And uh, I just want to say thanks again for the opportunity to be here and share this with your audience. Thanks, man. You've reached the end of our interview. Now, first, let me thank you for listening. I appreciate and respect you more than you'll ever know. And now I'd like to ask you a couple of questions. First, what three lessons did you just learn? What three aha moments just jumped out at you? Second, what can you implement for yourself and your business in the next 24 hours? Third, what can you give to someone else to help you with or give them to just do it for you? Whatever it is, remember taking action is the secret sauce to results. Now, if you think this interview would be helpful for a friend, please give them a link to it. It'll help them and it'll help me too. I'd also like to invite you to help me find out more about the challenges you're facing, your dreams, your goals, and how I can help you overcome what's holding you back. We both do better when we know better, and your success is my success. So please reach out and interact. You can visit our website bestbusinesscoach.ca for Canada or California, where I'm from and where I'm living. Uh, You're welcome to also try out one of our paid programs. You can find us on YouTube, Facebook, and pretty much every other social media channel you can think of. You should also subscribe to the podcast. And if you're enjoying them, please leave us a nice review. It really helps. That's all for now. Once again, thank you. 
take care of yourself, and remember, the world needs the best business you can build. And I believe in you.